Hi, everybody. Let's keep it moving, shall we? I give you chapters 14 through 17 of Lois Lowry's The Giver here at Carlet Reads the Classics. Please stay tuned. The Giver by Lois Lowry. This is chapter 14. It was much the same, this memory, though the hill seemed to be a different one, steeper, and the snow was not falling as thickly as it had before. It was colder also, Jonas perceived. He could see, as he sat waiting at the top of the hill, that the snow beneath the sled was not as thick and soft as it had been before, but hard and coated with bluish ice. The sled moved forward, and Jonas grinned with delight, looking forward to the breathtaking slide down through the invigorating air. But the runners, this time, couldn't slice through the frozen expanse as they had on the other, snow-cushioned hill. They skittered sideways, and the sled gathered speed. Jonas pulled at the rope, trying to steer, but the steepness and speed took control from his hands, and he was no longer enjoying the feeling of freedom, but instead terrified, was at the mercy of the wild acceleration downward over the ice. Sideways spinning, the sled hit a bump in the hill, and Jonas was jarred loose and thrown violently into the air. He fell with his leg twisted under him, and he could hear the crack of bone. His face scraped along the jagged edges of ice, and when he came at last to a stop, he lay shocked and still, feeling nothing at first but fear. Then the first wave of pain. He gasped. It was as if a hatchet lay lodged in his leg, slicing through each nerve with a hot blade. In his agony, he perceived the word fire and felt flames licking at the torn bone and flesh. He tried to move and could not. The pain grew. He screamed. There was no answer. Sobbing, he turned his head and vomited into the frozen snow. Blood dripped from his face into the vomit. No, he cried, and the sound disappeared into the empty landscape, into the wind. Then suddenly he was in the annex room again, writhing on the bed. His face was wet with tears. Able to move now, he rocked his own body back and forth, breathing deeply to release the remembered pain. He sat and looked at his own leg, where it lay straight on the bed, unbroken. The brutal slice of pain was gone but the leg ached horribly still, and his face felt raw. "'May I have relief of pain, please?' he begged. It was always provided in his everyday life for the bruises and wounds, for a mashed finger, a stomach ache, a skinned knee from a fall from a bike. There was always a daub of anesthetic ointment or a pill, or in severe instances an injection that brought complete and instantaneous deliverance. But the giver said no and looked away. Limping, Jonas walked home, pushing his bicycle that evening. The sunburn pain had been so small in comparison and had not stayed with him, but this ache lingered. It was not unendurable, as the pain on the hill had been. Jonas tried to be brave. He remembered that the chief elder had said he was brave. "'Is something wrong, Jonas?' his father asked at the evening meal. "'You're so quiet tonight. Aren't you feeling well?' Would you like some medication? But Jonas remembered the rules. No medication for anything related to his training. And no discussion of his training. 
At the time for sharing of feelings, he simply said that he felt tired, that his school lessons had been unusually demanding that day. He went to a sleeping room early, and from behind the door, he could hear his parents and sister laughing as they gave Gabriel his evening bath. They have never known pain, he thought. The realization made him feel desperately lonely, and he rubbed his throbbing leg. He eventually slept. Again and again, he dreamed of the anguish and the isolation on the forsaken hill. The daily training continued, and now it always included pain. The agony of the fractured leg began to seem more than a mild discomfort. As the giver led Jonas firmly, little by little, into the deep and terrible suffering of the past. Each time, in his kindness, the giver ended the afternoon with a color-filled memory of pleasure, a brisk sail on a blue-green lake, a meadow dotted with yellow wildflowers, or an orange sunset behind mountains. It was not enough to assuage the pain that Jonas was beginning now to know. Why? Jonas asked him after he had received a torturous memory in which he had been neglected and unfed. The hunger had caused excruciating spasms in his empty, distended stomach. He lay on the bed, aching. Why do you and I have to hold these memories? It gives us wisdom, the giver replied. Without wisdom, I could not fulfill my function of advising the committee of elders when they call upon me. But what wisdom do, do you get from hunger? Jonas groaned. His stomach still hurt, though the memory had ended. Some years ago, the giver told him, before your birth, a lot of citizens petitioned the committee of elders. They wanted to increase the rate of births. They wanted each birth mother to be assigned four births instead of three, so that the population would increase and there would be more laborers available. Jonas nodded, listening. That makes sense. The idea was that certain family units could accommodate an additional child. Jonas nodded again. Mine could, he pointed out. We have Gabriel this year, and it's fun having a third child. The committee of elders sought my advice, the giver said. It made sense to them, too, but it was a new idea, and they came to me for wisdom. And you used your memories? The giver said yes, and the strongest memory that came was hunger. It came from many generations back, centuries back. The population had gotten so big that hunger was everywhere, excruciating hunger and starvation. It was followed by warfare. Warfare? It was a concept Jonas did not know, but hunger was familiar to him now. Unconsciously, he rubbed his own abdomen, recalling the pain of its unfulfilled needs. So you describe that to them? They don't want to hear about pain. They just seek the advice. I simply advise them against increasing the population. But you said that that was before my birth. They hardly ever come to you for advice, only when they... What was it you said? When they have a problem they've never faced before. When did it happen last? Do you remember the day when the plane flew over the community? Yes, I was scared. So were they. They prepared to shoot it down, but they sought my advice. I told them to wait. But how did you know? How did you know the pilot was lost? I didn't. I used my wisdom from the memories. I knew that there had been times in the past, terrible times, when people had destroyed others in haste and fear and had brought about their own destruction. Jonas realized something. That means, 
he said slowly, that you have memories of destruction and you have to give them to me too because I have to get the wisdom. The giver nodded. But it will hurt, Jonas said. It wasn't a question. It will hurt terribly, the giver agreed. But why can't everyone have the memories? I think it would seem a little easier if the memories were shared. You and I wouldn't have to bear so much by ourselves if everybody took a part. The giver sighed. You're right, he said. But then everyone would be burdened and pained. They don't want that. And that's the reason the receiver is so vital to them and so honored. They selected me and you to lift that burden from themselves. When did they decide that? Jonas asked angrily. It wasn't fair. Let, let's change it. How do you suggest we do that? I've never been able to think of a way, and I'm supposed to be the one with all the wisdom. But there are two of us now, Jonas said eagerly. Together we can think of something. The giver watched him with a wry smile. Why can't we just apply for a change of rules? Jonas suggested. The giver laughed. Then Jonas, too, chuckled reluctantly. The decision was made long before my time or yours, the giver said, and before the previous receiver, and he waited. Back and back and back, Jonas repeated the familiar phrase. Sometimes it had seemed humorous to him. Sometimes it had seemed meaningful and important. Now it was ominous. It meant he knew that nothing could be changed. The new child, Gabriel, was growing and successfully passed the tests of maturity that the nurturers gave each month. He could sit alone now and reach for and grasp small playing objects, and he had six teeth. During the daytime hours, Father reported he was cheerful and seemed of normal intelligence, but he remained fretful at night, whimpering often, needing frequent attention. After all this extra time I have put in with him, father said one evening after Gabriel had been bathed and was lying for the moment, hugging his hippo placidly in the small crib that had replaced the basket. I hope they're not going to decide to release him. Maybe it would be for the best, mother suggested. I know you don't mind getting up with him at night, but, but the lack of sleep is awfully hard for me. If they release Gabriel, can we get another new child as a visitor? asked Lily. She was kneeling beside the crib, making funny faces at the little one who was smiling back at her. Jonas's mother rolled her eyes in dismay. No, father said, smiling. He ruffled Lily's hair. It's very rare anyway that a new child's status is as uncertain as Gabriel's. It probably won't happen again for a long time. Anyway, he sighed, they won't make the decision for a while. Right now, we're all preparing for a release we'll probably have to make very soon. There's a birth mother who's expecting twin males next month. Oh, dear, mother said, shaking her head. If they're identical, I hope you're, I hope you're not the one assigned. I am. I'm next on the list. I'll have to select the one to be nurtured and the one to be released. It's usually not hard, though. Usually it's just a matter of birth weight. We release the smaller of the two. Jonas, listening, thought suddenly about the bridge now, and standing there, he had wondered what lay elsewhere. Was there something there, waiting? Who would receive the tiny released twin? Would it grow up elsewhere, not knowing ever that in this community lived a being who looked exactly the same? For a moment, he felt a tiny fluttering hope that he knew was quite foolish. He had hoped that it would be Larissa, waiting, 
Larissa, the old woman he had bathed. He remembered her sparkling eyes, her soft voice, her low chuckle. Fiona had told him recently that Larissa had been released at a wonderful ceremony. But he knew that the old were not given children to raise. Larissa's life elsewhere would be quiet and serene as befit the old. She would not welcome the responsibility of nurturing a new child who needed feeding and care and would likely cry at night. Mother, father, he said, the idea coming to him unexpectedly. Why don't we put Gabriel's crib in my room tonight? I know how to feed and comfort him, and it would let you and father get some sleep. Father looked doubtful. You sleep so soundly, Jonas. What if his restlessness didn't wake you? It was Lily who answered that. If no one goes to ten Gabriel, she pointed out, he gets very loud. He'd wake all of us up, even if Jonas slept through it. Father laughed. You're right, Lily Billy. All right, Jonas, let's try it just for tonight. I'll take the night off and we'll let mother get some sleep too. Gabriel slept soundly for the earliest part of the night. Jonas in his bed lay awake for a while. From time to time, he raised himself on one elbow, looking over at the crib. The new child was on his stomach, his arms relaxed beside his head, his eyes closed, and his breathing regular and undisturbed. Finally, Jonas slept too. Then, as the middle hours of the night approached, the noise of Gabe's restlessness woke Jonas. The new child was turning under his cover, flailing his arms and beginning to whimper. Jonas rose and went to him. Gently, he patted Gabriel's back. Sometimes that was all it took to lull him back to sleep. But the new child still squirmed fretfully under his hand. Still patting rhythmically, Jonas began to remember the wonderful sail that the giver had given him not long before a bright breezy day on a clear turquoise lake, and above him the white sail of the boat billowing as he moved along in the brisk wind. He was not aware of giving the memory, but suddenly he realized that it was becoming dimmer, that it was sliding through his hand into the being of the new child. Gabriel became quiet. Startled, Jonas pulled back what was left of the memory with a burst of will. He removed his hand from the little back and stood quietly beside the crib. To himself, he called the memory of the sail forward again. It was still there, but the sky was less blue, the gentle motion of the boat slower, the water of the lake more murky and clouded. He kept it for a while, soothing his own nervousness at what had occurred, then let it go and returned to his bed. Once more, toward dawn, the new child woke and tried and cried out. Again, Jonas went to him. This time, he quite deliberately placed his hand firmly on Gabriel's back and released the rest of the calming day on the lake. Again, Gabriel slept. But now, Jonas lay awake, thinking. He no longer had any more than a wisp of the memory, and he felt a small lack where it had been. He could ask the giver for another sail, he knew, a sail perhaps on ocean next time, for Jonas had a memory of ocean now, and he knew what it was. He knew that there were sailboats too, and memories yet to be and memories yet to be acquired. He wondered though if he should confess to the giver that he had given a memory away. He was not yet qualified to be a giver himself, nor had Gabriel been selected to be a receiver. That he had this power frightened him. He decided not to tell. Chapter 15. 
Jonas entered the annex room and realized immediately that it was a day when he would be sent away. The giver was rigid in his chair, his face in his hands. I'll come back tomorrow, sir, he said quickly. Then he hesitated. Unless maybe there's something I can do to help. The giver looked up at him, his face contorted with suffering. Please, he gasped. Take some of the pain. Jonas helped him to his chair at the side of the bed. Then he quickly removed his tunic and lay face down. Put your hands on me, he directed, aware that in such anguish the giver might need reminding. The, hand, the hands came, and the pain came with them and through them. Jonas braced himself and entered the memory, which was torturing the giver. He was in a confused, noisy, foul-smelling place. It was daylight, early morning, and the air was thick with smoke that hung, yellow and brown, above the ground. Around him, everywhere, far across the expanse of what seemed to be a field, lay groaning men. A wild-eyed horse, its bridle torn and dangling, trotted frantically through the mounds of men, tossing its head, whinnying in panic. It stumbled finally, then fell, and did not rise. Jonas heard a voice next to him. Water, the voice said in a parched, croaking whisper. He turned his head toward the voice and looked into the half-closed eyes of a boy who seemed not much older than himself. Dirt streaked the boy's face and his matted blonde hair. He lay sprawled, his gray uniform glistening with wet, fresh blood. The colors of the carnage were grotesquely bright, the crimson wetness on the rough and dusty fabric, the ripped shreds of grass, startlingly green, and the boy's yellow hair. The boy stared at him. Water, he begged again. When he spoke, a new spurt of blood drenched the coarse cloth across his chest and sleeve. One of Jonas's arms was immobilized with pain, and he could see through his own torn sleeve something that looked like ragged flesh and splintery bone. He tried his remaining arm in it and felt it move. Slowly he reached to his side, felt the metal container there, and removed its cap, stopping the small motion of his hand now and then to wait for the surging pain to ease. Finally, when the container was open, he extended his arm slowly across the blood-soaked earth, inch by inch, and held it to the lips of the boy. Water trickled into the imploring mouth and down the grimy chin. The boy sighed. His head fell back, his lower jaw dropping as if he had been surprised by something. A dull blankness slid across his eyes. He was silent. But the noise continued all around, the cries of the wounded men, the cries begging for water and for mother and for death. Horses lying on the ground shrieked, raised their heads, and stabbed randomly towards the sky with their hooves. From the distance, Jonas could hear the thud of cannons. Overwhelmed by pain, he lay there in a fearsome stench for hours, listened to the men and animals die, and learned what warfare meant. Finally, when he knew that he could no longer bear it and would welcome death himself, he opened his eyes and was once again on the bed. The giver looked away as if he could not bear to see what he had just done to Jonas. Forgive me, he said. Chapter 16 Jonas did not want to go back. 
He didn't want the memories, didn't want the honor, didn't want the wisdom, didn't want the pain. He wanted his childhood again, his great knees and ball games. He sat in his dwelling alone, watching through the window, seeing children at play, citizens bicycling home from uneventful days at work, ordinary lives, free of anguish because he had been selected, as others before him had, to bear their burden. But the choice was not his. He returned each day to the annex room. The giver was gentle with him for many days following the terrible shared memory of war. There are so many good memories, the giver reminded Jonas, and it was true. By now, Jonas had experienced countless bits of happiness, things that he had never known of before. He had seen a birthday party with one child singled out and celebrated on his day, so that now he understood the joy of being an individual, special and unique and proud. He had visited museums and seen paintings filled with all the colors he could now recognize and name. In one ecstatic memory, he had ridden a gleaming brown horse across a field that smelled of damp grass and had dismounted beside a small stream from which both he and the horse drank cold, clear water. Now he understood about animals, and in the moment that the horse turned from the stream and nudged Jonas's shoulder affectionately with its head, he perceived the bonds between animal and human. He had walked through woods and sat at night beside a campfire. Although he had, through the memories, learned about pain of loss and loneliness, now he gained, too, an understanding of solitude and its joy. What is your favorite? Jonas asked the giver. You don't have to give it away yet, he added quickly. Just just tell me about it so I can look forward to it because I'll have to receive it when your job is done. The giver smiled. Lie down. I'm happy to give it. Jonas felt the joy of it as soon as the memory began. Sometimes it took a while for him to get his bearings, to find his place, but this time he fit right in and felt the happiness that pervaded the memory. He was in a room filled with people, and it was warm with firelight glowing on a hearth. He could see through the window that outside it was night and snowing. There were colored lights, red and green and yellow, twinkling from a tree, which was oddly inside the room. On a table, lighted candles stood in a polished golden holder and cast a soft, flickering glow. He could smell things cooking, and he heard soft laughter. A golden-haired dog lay sleeping on the floor. On the floor, there were packages wrapped in brightly colored paper and tied with gleaming ribbons. As Jonas watched, around the room, a small child began to pick up the packages and pass them around the room to other children, to adults who were obviously parents, and to an older, quiet couple, man and woman, who sat smiling together on a couch. While Jonas watched, the people began one by one to untie the ribbons on the packages, to unwrap the bright papers, open the boxes, and reveal toys and clothing and books. There were cries of delight. They hugged one another. The small child went and sat on the lap of the old woman, and she rocked him and rubbed her cheek against his. Jonas opened his eyes and lay contentedly on the bed, still luxuriating in the warm and comforting memory. It had all been there, all the things he had learned to treasure. What did you perceive? the giver asked. Warmth, Jonas replied, and happiness, and, and let me think. Family, 
that it was a celebration of some sort, a holiday, and and something else. I, I can't quite get the word for it. It will come to you. Who were the old people? Why were they there? It had puzzled Jonas seeing them in the room. The old of the community did not ever leave their special place, the house of the old, where they were so well cared for and respected. They were called grandparents. Grandparents? Grandparents. It meant parents of the parents long ago. Back and back and back? Jonas began to laugh. So actually, there could be parents of the parents of the parents of the parents. The giver laughed too. That's right. It's a little like looking at yourself, looking in a mirror, looking at yourself, looking in a mirror. Jonas frowned. But my parents must have had parents too. I never thought about it before. Who are my parents of the parents? Where are they? You could go look in the Hall of Open Records. You'd find the names. But think, son, if you apply for children, then who will be the parents of the parents? Who will be their grandparents? My mother and father, of course. And where will they be? Jonas thought. Oh, he said slowly. When I finish my training and become a full adult, I'll be given my own dwelling, and then when Lily does, a few years later, she'll get her own dwelling and maybe a spouse and children if she applies for them, and then father and mother. That's right. As long as they're still working and contributing to the community, they'll go and live with the other childless adults, and they won't be a part of my life anymore. And after that, when the time comes, they'll go to the house of the old, Jonas went on. He was thinking aloud, and they'll be well cared for and respected, and when they're released, there will be a celebration, which you won't attend, the giver pointed out. No, of course not, because I won't even know about it. By then, I'll be so busy with my own life, and, and Lily will too, so our children, if we have them, won't know who their parents of parents are either. It seems to work pretty well that way, doesn't it? The way we do it in our community, Jonas asked. I just didn't realize there was any other way until I received that memory. It works, the giver agreed. Jonas hesitated. I certainly like the memory, though. I, I can see why it's your favorite. I couldn't quite get the word for the whole feeling of it, the, the feeling that was so strong in the room. Love, the giver told him. Jonas repeated it. Love. It was a word and concept new to him. They were both silent for a minute. Then Jonas said, Giver? Yes? I feel very foolish saying this. Very, very foolish. No need. Nothing is foolish here. Trust the memories and how they make you feel. Well, Jonas said, looking at the floor, I know you don't have the memory anymore because you gave it to me, so maybe you won't understand this. I will. I am left with a vague wisp of that one, and I have many other memories of families and holidays and happiness, of love. Jonas blurted out what he was feeling. I was thinking that, well, I can see that it wasn't a very practical way to live with the old right there in the same place, where maybe they wouldn't be well taken care of the way they are now, and that we have a better arranged way of doing things. But anyway, I was thinking, I mean, feeling actually, that it was kind of nice then, and that I wish we could be that way, and that you could be my grandparent. 
the family and the memory seemed a little more, he faltered, not able to find the word he wanted, a little more complete, the giver suggested. Jonas nodded. I like the feeling of love, he confessed. He glanced nervously at the speaker on the wall, reassuring himself that no one was listening. I wish we still had that, he whispered. Of course, he added quickly. I do understand that it wouldn't work very well and, and that it's much better to be organized the way we are now. I can see that it, it was a dangerous way to live. What do you mean? Jonas hesitated. He wasn't certain really what he had meant. He could feel that there was a risk involved, though, and he wasn't sure how. Well, he said finally, grasping for an explanation. They had fire right there in the room. There was a fire burning in the fireplace, and there were candles on a table. I can certainly see why those things were outlawed. Still, he said slowly, almost to himself, I did like the light they made and the warmth. Father? Mother? Jonas asked tentatively after the evening meal. I have a question I want to ask you. What is it, Jonas? His father asked. He made himself say the words, though he felt flushed with embarrassment. He had rehearsed them in his mind all the way home from the annex. Do you love me? There was an awkward silence for a moment. Then father gave a little chuckle. Jonas, you, of all people, precision of language, please. What do you mean? Jonas asked. Amusement was not at all what he had anticipated. Your father means that you used a very generalized word, so meaningless that it's become almost obsolete, his mother explained carefully. Jonas stared at them. Meaningless? He had never before felt anything as meaningful as the memory. And of course our community can't function smoothly if people don't use precise language. You could ask, do you enjoy me? The answer is yes, his mother said. Or, his father suggested, do you take pride in my accomplishments? And the answer is wholeheartedly yes. Do you understand why it's inappropriate to use a word like love? Mother asked. Jonas nodded. Yes, thank you, I do, he replied slowly. It was his first lie to his parents. Gabriel, Jonas whispered that night to the new child. The crib was in his room again. After Gabe had slept soundly in Jonas's room for four nights, his parents had pronounced the experiment a success and Jonas a hero. Gabriel was growing rapidly now and crawling and giggling across the room and, and pulling himself up to stand. He could be upgraded in the nurturing center, father said happily, now that he slept, he could be officially named and given to his family in December, which was only two months away. But when he was taken away, he stopped sleeping again and cried in the night. So he was back in Jonas's sleeping room. They would give it a little more time, they decided. Since Gabe seemed to like it in Jonas's room, he would sleep there at night a little longer until the habit of sound sleep was fully formed. The nurturers were very optimistic about Gabriel's future. There was no answer to Jonas's whisper. Gabriel was sound asleep. Things could change, Gabe. Jonas went on. Things could be different. I don't know how, but there must be some way for things to be different. There could be colors and grandparents, he added, staring through the dimness toward the ceiling of his sleeping room, and everybody would have the memories. You know about memories, he whispered, turning toward the crib. Gabriel's breathing 
was even and deep. Jonas liked having him there, though he felt guilty about the secret. Each night, he gave memories to Gabriel, memories of boat rides and picnics in the sun, memories of soft rainfall against window panes, memories of dancing barefoot on a damp lawn. Gabe? The new child stirred slightly in his sleep. Jonas looked over at him. There could be love, Jonas whispered. The next morning, for the first time, Jonas did not take his pill. Something within him, something that had grown there through the memories, told him to throw the pill away. Chapter 17 Today is declared an unscheduled holiday. Jonas, his parents, and Lily all turned in surprise and looked at the wall speaker from which the announcement had come. It happened so rarely, and it was such a treat for the entire community when it did. Adults were exempted from the day's work, children from school, and training in volunteer hours. The substitute laborers who would be given, different, be given a different holiday took over all the necessary tasks, nurturing, food delivery, and care of the old, and the community was free. Jonas cheered and put his homework folder down. He had been about to leave for school. School was less important to him now, and before much more time passed, his formal schooling would end. But still, for twelves, though they had begun their adult training, there were endless lists of rules to be memorized and the newest technology to be mastered. He wished his parents, sister, and Gabe a happy day and rode down the bicycle path, looking for Asher. He had not taken the pills now for four weeks. The stirrings had returned, and he felt a little guilty and embarrassed about the pleasurable dreams that had came to him as he slept. But he knew he couldn't go back to the world of no feelings that he had lived in so long and his new heightened feelings permeated a greater realm than simply his sleep. Though he knew that his failure to take the pills accounted for some of it, he thought that the feelings came also from the memories. Now he could see all of the colors, and he could keep them too, so that the trees and grass, grass and bushes stayed green in his vision. Gabriel's rosy cheeks stayed pink even when he slept, and apples were always, always red. Now, through the memories, he had seen oceans and mountains and lake streams that gurgled through the woods, and he saw all of the light and color and history it contained and carried in its slow-moving water, and he knew that there was an elsewhere from which, from which it came and an elsewhere to which it was going. On this unexpected casual holiday, he felt happy, as he always had on holidays, but with a deeper happiness than ever before. Thinking, as he always did, about precision of language, Jonas realized that it was a new depth of feeling that he was experiencing. Somehow, they were not at all the same as the feelings that every evening and every dwelling, every citizen analyzed with endless talk. I felt angry because someone broke the play area rules. Lily had said once, making a fist with her small hand to indicate her fury. Her family, Jonas among them, had talked about the possible reasons for rule-breaking and the need for understanding and patience until Lily's fist had relaxed and her anger was gone. But Lily had not felt anger, Jonas realized now. Shallow impatience and exasperation. That was all Lily had felt. He knew that with certainty now because he knew what anger was. 
Now he had in the memories experienced injustice and cruelty, and he had reacted with rage that welled up so passionately inside him that the thought of discussing it calmly at the evening meal was unthinkable. I felt sad today, he had heard his mother say, and they had comforted her. But now Jonas had explained real, had experienced real sadness. He had felt grief. He knew that there was no quick comfort for emotions like those. These were deeper and they did not need to be told. They were felt. Today, he felt happiness. Asher, he spied his friend's bicycle leaning against a tree at the edge of the playing field. Nearby, other bikes were strewn about on the ground. On a holiday, the usual ruse of order could be disregarded. He skidded to a stop and dropped his own bike beside the others. Hey, Ash, he shouted, looking around. There seemed to be no one in the play area. Where are you? A child's voice coming from behind a nearby bush made the sound. Pow, pow, pow. A female 11 named Tanya staggered forward from where she had been hiding. Dramatically, she clutched her stomach and stumbled about in a zigzag pattern, groaning. You got me, she called and fell to the ground, grinning. Blam! Jonas, standing on the side of the playing field, recognized Asher's voice. He saw his friend, aiming an imaginary weapon in his hand, dart from behind one tree to another. Blam! You're in my line of ambush, Jonas! Watch out! Jonas stepped back. He moved behind Asher's bike and knelt so that he was out of sight. It was a game he had often played with the other children, a game of good guys and bad guys, a harmless pastime that used up their contained energy and ended only when they all lay posed in freakish postures on the ground. He had never recognized it before as a game of war. Attack! The shout came from behind the small storehouse where play equipment was kept. Three children dashed forward their imaginary weapons and firing position. From the opposite side of the field came an opposing shout, Counterattack! From their hiding places, a horde of children, Jonas recognized Fiona and the group, emerged, running in a crouched position, firing across the field. Several of them stopped, grabbed their own shoulders and chest with exaggerated gestures, and pretended to be hit. They dropped to the ground and lay suppressing giggles. Feelings surged within Jonas. He found himself walking forward into the field. You're hit, Jonas! Asher yelled from behind the tree. Pow! You're hit again! Jonas stood alone in the center of the field. Several of the children raised their heads and looked at him uneasily. The attacking army slowed, emerged from their crouched positions, and watched to see what he was doing. In his mind, Jonas saw again the face of the boy who had lain dying on a field and had begged him for water. He had a sudden choking feeling as if it were difficult to breathe. One of the children raised an imaginary rifle and made an attempt to destroy him with a firing noise. Then they were all silent, standing awkwardly, and the only sound was the sound of Jonas's shuddering breaths. He was struggling not to cry. Gradually, when nothing happened, nothing changed, the children looked at each other nervously and went away. He heard the sounds as they righted their bicycles and began to ride down the path that led from the field. Only Asher and Fiona remained. What's wrong, Jonas? It was only a game, Fiona said. You ruined it, Asher said in an irritated voice. Don't play it anymore. 
Jonas pleaded. I'm the only one training for assistant recreation director, Asher pointed out angrily. Games aren't your area of expertness. Expertise, Jonas corrected him automatically. Whatever, you can't say what we can play, even if you are going to be the new receiver. Asher looked warily at him. I apologize for not paying you the respect you deserve, he mumbled. Asher, said Jonas, he was trying to speak carefully with kindness to say exactly what he wanted to say. You had no way of knowing this. I didn't know it myself until recently. But it's a cruel game. In the past, there have... I said I apologize, Jonas. Jonas sighed. It was no use. Of course, Asher couldn't understand. I accept your apology, Asher, he said wearily. Do you want to go for a ride along the river, Jonas? Fiona asked, biting her lip with nervousness. Jonas looked at her. She was so lovely. For a fleeting instant, he thought he would like nothing better than to ride peacefully along the river path, laughing and talking with his gentle female friend. But he knew that such times had been taken from him now. He shook his head. After a moment, his two friends turned and went to their bikes. He watched as they rode away. Jonas trudged to the bench beside the storehouse and sat down, overwhelmed with feelings of loss. His childhood, his, his friendships, his carefree sense of security, all of these things seemed to be slipping away. With his new heightened feelings, he was overwhelmed by sadness at the way the others had laughed and shouted, playing at war. But he knew that they could not understand why, without the memories. He felt such love for Asher and for Fiona, but they could not feel it back without the memories, and he could not give them those. Jonas knew with certainty that he could change nothing. Back in their dwelling that evening, Lily chattered merrily about the wonderful holiday she had had, playing with her friends, having her midday meal out of doors, and, she confessed, sneaking a very short try on her father's bicycle. I can't wait till, till I get my very own bicycle next month. Father's is too big for me. I fell, she explained matter-of-factly. Good thing Gabe wasn't in the child's seat. A very good thing, Mother agreed, frowning at the idea of it. Gabriel waved his arms at the mention of himself. He had begun to walk just the week before. The first steps of a new child were always the occasion for celebration at the nurturing center, Father said, but also for the introduction of a disciplined wand. Now, Father brought the slender instrument home with him each night in case Gabriel misbehaved. But he was a happy and easygoing toddler. Now he moved unsteadily across the room, laughing. Gay, he chirped. Gay, it was the way he said his own name. Jonas brightened. It had been a depressing day for him after such a bright start. But he set his glum thoughts aside. He thought about starting to teach Lily to ride so that she could speed off proudly after her ceremony of nine, which would be coming soon. It was hard to believe that it was almost December again, that almost a year had passed since he had become a twelve. He smiled as he watched the new child plant one small foot carefully before the other, grinning with glee at his own steps as he tried them out. I want to get to sleep early tonight, father said. Tomorrow's a busy day for me. The twins are being born tomorrow and the test results show that they're identical. One for here, one for elsewhere, Lily chanted. One for here, one for else. Do you actually take it elsewhere, father? Jonas asked. No, I just have to make the selection. 
I weigh them, hand the larger over to the nurturer who's standing by waiting, and then I get the smaller one all cleaned up and comfy. Then I perform a small ceremony of release, and he glanced down, grinning at Gabriel. Then I wave bye-bye, he said, in a special sweet voice he used when he spoke to the new child. He waved his hand in the familiar gesture. Gabriel giggled and waved bye-bye back to him. And somebody else comes to get him? Somebody from elsewhere? That's right, Jonas Bonus. Jonas rolled his eyes in embarrassment that his father had used the silly pet name. Lily was deep in thought. What if they give the little twin a name elsewhere, a name like, oh, maybe Jonathan? And here in our community at his naming, the twin that we kept here is given the name Jonathan. And then there would be two children with the same name, and they would look exactly the same. And someday, maybe when they were a six, one group of sixes would go to visit another community on a bus. And there in the community, in the other group of sixes would be a Jonathan who was exactly the same as the other Jonathan. And then maybe they would get mixed up and take the wrong Jonathan home. And maybe his parents would notice. And then she paused for a breath. Lily, mother said, I have a wonderful idea. Maybe when you become a 12, they'll give you the assignment of storyteller. I don't think we've had a storyteller in the community for a long time. But if I were on the committee, I would definitely choose you for that job. Lily grinned. I have a better idea for one for one more story, she announced. What if we actually were all twins and didn't know it? And so elsewhere, there would be another Lily and another Jonas and another father and another Asher and another chief elder and another... Father groaned. Lily, he said. It's bedtime. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. You have just heard chapters 14 through 17 of Lois Lowry's The Giver. I do thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the reading. Please tune in for the remaining chapters of this great book here at Carla Reads the Classics. Until next time, 